I'm Austin Miles with V-Bar Livestock in Whitesboro, Texas, and you're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Thank you so much for taking time to join us for another edition of Texas Ag Today. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, boy, this has been a cold week, not just here in Texas, but all across the country. And that cold is taking a toll on the wheat crop, which is already stressed from drought. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. A lot of learning opportunities will be available for producers at the upcoming Amarillo Farm and Ranch Show. I'm James Hunt, and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. With cattle herds down due to the drought over Texas and other cattle producing states, the liquidation rate is one of the largest in the last 30 years. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have the story on Texas Ag Today. Annual ryegrass, a cool season annual forage often utilized by livestock producers for winter grazing. However, it's often deemed an enemy of many a hay producer in East Texas. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Cold weather is gripping practically the entire country right now, and that's sending the nation's wheat crop into dormancy, which is not ideal for the wheat crop here in Texas that has struggled to get established because of drought. USDA's Brad Rippey says it looks like this new wheat crop is going to face challenges just like the last one did. Just look back to last year, we actually had a a crop that was in relatively good shape. There was some drought-related issues with the 2021-22 crop, but as we headed into spring, things got worse. It turned drier, especially across major production areas of the Central and Southern Great Plains. And so that in 2022, spring of 2022, it added some insult to injury. We had a slightly drought-stressed crop that got worse and worse as you went through the spring. Drought has affected so much of this year's new Texas wheat crop, and some of it hasn't even been planted yet. So the crop is not in good condition heading into winter. The best we can hope for in 2023 is that we go the other direction. We get drought relief that brings back a weak looking crop, revives it and turns it into a pretty good crop. That can happen, but we do have some strikes against us starting this 2022-2023 cycle for winter wheat. Nearly half of the Texas wheat crop is rated in poor to very poor condition. The Texas Plant Protection Conference is just around the corner, coming up December 6th and 7th in College Station. Dr. Ronnie Schnell is the current president of the Texas Plant Protection Association. 
This conference is a group of extension specialists and other uh, folks from Texas A&M AgriLife and you know, other academic institutions from around the state that come together with representatives from industry and farmers and crop consultants and, and other groups that all come together to discuss current issues and you know new things that are going on in agriculture that will affect Texas. Chanel says the theme of this year's conference is responding to changes. We've had a lot of issues with supply chains and input prices and you know just a lot of uncertainty going into the production season this past year and you know some of that uncertainty is is still present you know as we move forward into next year uh, we combine that with uh, the drought and the uncertainty of, of weather patterns moving into next year so there's just a lot of things going on all at once so what we've done is identified some keynote speakers that can come in and address uh, some of these challenges that we face the rest of this year and moving into next year. If you'd like more information on the conference, go to texasplantprotection.com. A lot of learning opportunities will be available for Texas High Plains farmers at the upcoming Amarillo Farm and Ranch Show. James Hunt has the story. The annual Farm and Ranch Show is coming up November 29th through December 1st at the Amarillo Civic Center. And beyond all the equipment and technology to look at, there are a lot of educational opportunities available for ag producers. Danny Nusser is the regional program leader for Texas A&M AgriLife, and he says the annual CEU workshop offered on the first day of the show has on tap a lineup that includes AgriLife irrigation expert Dana Porter providing a presentation on chemigation a subject Nusser says is very topical right now. For a lot of different reasons, the equipment, the difference that we've got now in some of our irrigation systems. You know, we got so many guys out here doing no-till and not wanting to get over that crop with different equipment. So some of the advantages of using chemigation in those areas. And then I think Dana really get into some of the equipment differences and some of the efficiencies of their systems. Nusser says there will also be a presentation by AgriLife Integrated Pest Management Agent Blaine Reed on drift minimization, as keeping control of pesticides is very important in our agriculturally diverse region. You know, we're growing cotton with sorghum, with every other type of crops that are out there. So our producers do a really good job of watching the wind speed and humidity and some of the things that they have to do to just to keep from problems. But Sometimes we run into issues, and so he's just going to go over those key things, nozzling and just trying to avoid some issues that a guy might get into. Other subjects for the November 29th session include wheat fertilization, weed management, and state agriculture department laws and regulations. Several CEUs will also be available for producers. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The cattle market outlook for 2023 looks very good. Tom Nicoletti checks in with the CEO of Cattlefax. My guest today is Randy Block. He is Chief Executive Officer of Cattlefax. He uh, made a presentation recently at the U.S. Meat Export Federation Fall Conference to a number of attendees from the cattle industry and other red meat representatives. And uh, Randy, what was your main message uh, to the group in regards to uh, the cattle situation going into next year? 
Well, Tom, we've obviously gone through some difficult times here over the last couple of years. Our numbers are tightening up as a result of the drought that we've experienced in here and record high feed costs. So the herd is downsized more than we'd anticipated. That's going to lead to even tighter fed cattle and beef supplies here in 2023, 24, and on into 2025. Certainly uh, the La Nina weather pattern has uh, hit Texas in 2022 dramatically with the drought. So Cattle numbers are uh, down and feed costs are up. Oh, we've seen a tremendous liquidation of the cow herd in Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, on into the southeast regions. It's been pretty devastating. Total female slaughter is going to end up being up over 700,000 head this year. One of the biggest liquidation rates that we've seen any time in the last 30 years. There's obviously going to be a situation ahead, Tom, where we will see a decline in the number of fed cattle that we produce on an annual basis. We would expect that we'll see a reduction of seven to 800,000 head each of the next three years of the number of fed cattle that we produce. Obviously, it'll, it'll take some of the pressure off the harvesting plants. They won't have to run their plants as, as heavily, especially on Saturdays here over the next 24 months. That is Randy Block. He is CEO of Cattlefax. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Annual ryegrass can be a valuable winter forage for cattle, but forage specialist Dr. Vanessa Olson says it can also be an enemy of East Texas hay producers. Volunteer annual ryegrass can be common in hay meadows. Winter rainfalls can promote seed germination, and seeds can survive for multiple years in our soils. Later maturity of annual ryegrass can delay or prevent our warm season perennial forages from breaking dormancy in April or May, therefore delaying our initial hay cutting. So how do we manage this unwanted ryegrass? We have several options. First, we can graze it. If your hay meadow happens to be fenced as well as have a source of water, grazing can be an excellent way to utilize the high quality forage as well as remove it from the meadow. Second option, we can bale it. Harvesting ryegrass for baleage or a dry hay is an option. Baleage or haylage is forage baled at 50 to 60% moisture. It is then preserved in an airtight plastic wrap. Harvesting for a dry hay product can be tricky during years we have ample spring rainfalls. The third option is to spray it. Use of herbicides to control annual ryegrass is probably the most common method practiced. As with any herbicide application, timing is critical along with following label directions. Ideally for control, ryegrass needs to be sprayed when plants are less than six inches in height in the fall. Annual ryegrass is generally susceptible to post-emergent herbicides in early winter prior to freezing temperatures and before seed head emergence. Unfortunately for Bahia grass growers, there are no selective herbicides available for post-emergent control of annual ryegrass. For rates and any restrictions, refer to product labels. Our fourth option is to outcompete it. Maintaining some substantial Bermuda grass or Bahia grass double height could provide some shade that could reduce ryegrass seed germination. This may not provide 100% control, however. Competition can help to reduce undesired plant growth. Maintaining a higher stubble height can also be beneficial for the warm season perennial future growing season. Higher stubble height means more substantial root structure to capture deeper soil moisture and nutrients. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension in Overton for Texas Ag Today. The Hunter Education Program in Texas is celebrating a few milestones. I'm Jessica Dommel and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And what exactly is hardware disease? 
Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, call 833-TX-HEALTH or visit 833-TXHEALTH.com. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. If you have cattle, you've probably heard the term hardware disease. Dr. Bob Judd tells exactly what it is. Hardware disease is a common term for bovine traumatic reticuloperitonitis. So you can see why we refer to it simply as hardware disease. Mark Johnson indicates at Drovers.com that the disease is usually caused when a cow ingests a metallic object like screws, nails, or wire. Because of their weight, these objects settle in the bottom of a part of the stomach called the reticulum, and the reticulum lies just across the diaphragm from the heart. As the reticulum contracts to move food, it pushes the metal object through the stomach wall and allows an infection to develop called peritonitis. The contraction then can push the metal object into the sac surrounding the heart and cause severe inflammation and pain. Hardware disease can be mild or deadly depending on the degree of damage, and it can also be difficult to diagnose. The cows are usually in pain and walk with a hump back, and if standing in a chute can have increased pain if you use a metal bar or pipe and place upward pressure on the sternum behind the elbow. Lots of these cows will be reluctant to walk, have weight loss, decreased appetite, and will grunt when forced to move. The disease can be difficult to diagnose. Large teaching hospitals have powerful enough x-ray machines to actually see the metal object. It is possible to do surgery and reach in the stomach and remove the metal object, but this is difficult and the infections still persist, so many of these cows still do not do well. Obviously, this would only be for very valuable cattle. Sometimes you can place a magnet in the reticulum by using a balling gun, and the magnet may pull the metal object back into the stomach, and antibiotics can be used for the infection. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Hunter Education Program in Texas is celebrating a few milestones. Jessica Domo has the story in today's Wildlife Report. The Hunter Education Program in Texas is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. The first course was held in Texas February 28, 1972, and since then more than 1.5 million students have completed the course. Carter Smith, Executive Director of the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, recently shared the good news with the Parks and Wildlife Commission. It's been groundbreaking in terms of what that has meant to help and to educate new hunters and shooters about the outdoors and safe and legal, responsible, ethical hunting. Initially, hunter education was voluntary in Texas. It was made mandatory in 1988 for hunters born on or after September 2, 1971. As we continue to certify and educate more students, the number of hunting accidents has just gone down proportionally. It's just been phenomenal. 
Smith and the commission recognized the program's 1.5 millionth student, Austin Zurek of Midlothian, and his teacher, Brian Moss. And in recognition of this accomplishment and milestone, the Henry Rifle Company has donated two 22 caliber commemorative rifles um, to give Austin and Brian. In Texas, there are several options to take hunter education. For those under the age of 17, you can take a classroom-only course, or you can take an internet field course combination. Those over the age of 17 can take the online-only course. A one-year hunter education deferral is available for those 17 and older. Additional details are available on the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department website. Click on the tab that says Hunting and then Hunter Education. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It's time for another check on the markets. We'll be back with a look at Friday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. It was a pretty good week for the cattle futures market over the past week. Friday, we wrapped things up in positive territory for both live and feeder cattle. December live cattle up 32 cents, 153.07. February up 45 at 155.85. April live cattle gained 35 cents, ending the week at 159.25. January feeder cattle up 80 cents, 180.77. March feeders up 62 at 183.12. While April feeder cattle ended the week 32 higher at 186.10. One reason for the higher live <clears throat> one reason for the higher trade in live cattle futures may have been the higher cash market. Thursday we saw sales hit as high as 151 here in Texas. That's a buck higher than the previous week in Kansas. They topped out at 152. Boxed beef prices mixed on Friday with choice down 239, 254.71. Select up 67 cents at 232.41. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Let's get started with Sean Gaswat, Gillespie Livestock, Sheep and Goats Tuesday Cattle. Wednesday, Sean, how did the cattle sell? Went real well, Larry. We ended up with 1,700. Uh, you know, I called the cows and bulls kind of steady. Uh, didn't have any, oh, we had a few of those real high yielders, but not too many. The uh, quality sure was a little different this week than last week. On the steers and heifers, uh, you know, I called those, some of those classes of steers are probably five to 10 higher. Same on the heifers, you know, some of those good uh, old four to five weight steers, you know, bring in the 20s, you know, the low 20s up to about 24, I guess, on some of them. And then, you know, the five to six weights up to two over $2. So I thought that was good. And we had some six weight cattle bring uh, about 75 today. So I thought that was good. And on the heifer end, you know, they were probably 
probably five to ten higher uh, from last week. We had some lighter heifers. I uh, ran four to five, bring up to buck ninety, which I thought that was good. Uh, and you know, the five to six weight heifers, kind of like it was last week, buck sixty was a high, so they weren't really much higher. And then you get over uh, that six weight uh, mark, they went up to buck fifty five, which was a little higher. So I thought we got along pretty well. Uh, everybody jumped in there and, and sure needed a few cattle, and, and quality was awful good today. Good, so it worked out well. What do you anticipate for next week, Sean? Well, we won't have any sales next week, Larry. We'll be off for Thanksgiving. Uh, we wish everybody a, a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll resume sales uh, after Thanksgiving on our sheep and goat end and on our cattle end. And uh, I'm sure think we get somewhere around that three on the sheep and goat end and probably somewhere like we did today on the cattle end. Usually it's one of our better sales. So uh, holler at us after Thanksgiving. If you've got anything, we'll be glad to help you. Give us the contact info. You can reach us, reach us at 830-997-43. We appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Neighbor, that's our livestock auction market report for today. We'll see you next time right here as we walk the pens. I'm Larry Marble for Texas Ag Today. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures trade now. We're lean hogs finished lower Friday. December hogs down 75 cents at 84.22. February down $1.25, 89.55. Class 3 milk was lower Friday. November milk down a penny, 21.02. December milk down 19 cents, 21.53 a hundredweight. Another day of big losses in the cotton market on Friday. Fears of higher interest rates to come, daily increases in China's COVID-19 infections, and poor weekly export sales, all weighing on the cotton market Friday. December cotton down 188 points, 85.16. March cotton down 150 at 83.78. December 23 cotton down 21 points, 78.96. Corn market was mixed. Nearby contracts higher, deferreds lower. December corn up a quarter penny, 667 and three quarters. March corn up one at 670 a bushel. Wheat market slightly lower Friday. December Kansas City wheat down three and three quarters, 934 and a quarter. December Chicago wheat off three and a half at 803 and a quarter. In the energy markets, December natural gas down a penny, 635. December crude oil down a buck 89 at 7975 a barrel. The financial markets were mixed Friday afternoon. The Dow was up 118 points, 33,664. The NASDAQ down 27 at 11,117. The S&P up 9, 3,955. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. My name is Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.